You don't have time to discuss it in a committee. Oh, thank you, Allie. You're welcome. That was it. What's up, walkers? This is Brett. This is Allie. And uh, we're back here. Yay. In, no, on, <laughs> what say? On the Skywalk. It's on been a the while. Skywalk. And we're back here on the Skywalk. And uh, today is a very special episode because as you dear walkers know, all you usually get is mostly me talking and occasionally Jeff and Allie being to squeeze something in, uh, being able to squeeze something in. Okay, Allie is going to lead the discussion, I'll say, uh, because it's a topic that is um, near and dear to all of our hearts, but especially to Allie's because she has uh, a deep interest in museums. And a degree. A degree. In museum studies. Correct. A degree of interest <laughs> in museum studies. <laughs> yes, an actual degree. <laughs> the kind you get for doing actual From academic Havid. work in college. From Havid. That's right. From Havid. We don't usually say which uh, schools we're at, but I think it's okay this okay. time. I'm not there anymore. So the Lucas Museum. Yeah. And the good thing is I'm going to play the role of layman, which is wicked easy. We talked about doing an episode with all Boston accents. Uh, this isn't going to be it, though, uh, which is very easy for me to do because I really do know very, very little about the Lucas Museum. The only thing I know pretty much is uh, that it's going to be in L.A. Yes. So the, uh, the Rams moved to L.A. this year. The Chargers are moving to L.A. now and the Lucas Museum. See, L.A., that's where it kind of... That's where it ends. Where it's where worlds collide for me. <laughs> yeah, so they decided the, the board of the Lucas Museum met... What's what's today? The 18th. They met two weeks ago mm -hmm. and decided that they were settling on this location in L.A. on Exposition Drive. <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny. <laughs> I'm laughing because it's probably the worst street name for the guy oh. who made the prequels. Mm, <laughs> that's fair. But anyway, so... Yeah, and this has been like this is like the conclusion of like a several year saga that started I think in like 2010 mm -hmm. is when he first started talking about this museum and how he wanted a place to have all of the art that he had collected over the years on display and how he wanted to share that with the world and specifically with um, educators and students. Mm -hmm. So it started the earliest memory that I have of it is in like late 2012 when um, the Presidio opened up open bids for this uh, or they put out a call for proposals on this plot of land on Chrissy Field facing the bay. You can see the Golden Gate. You can see Alcatraz. Mm -hmm. And um, I think they got 16 proposals, including the Lucas Museum. And... Uh, out of all those proposals, the museum and two other proposals got to like top spot. And the Presidio was like, all right, now go back to the drawing board and update your your ideas because they're not good enough yet. Right. And there were issues with like the design of Lucas's museum not fitting with the rest of the Presidio architecture. There were concerns about like traffic and just a bunch of stupid stuff. Right. In the end, these are the same issues that come up when, uh, like, Dunkin' Donuts tried to come to my town. Exactly. Right. It's same. A huge traffic. Same problem. Thing. Right. Um, and so it didn't end up happening. Presidio said like none of the proposals were really what they were looking for, mm -hmm. which like is a huge bummer because 
Lucas, like Lucasfilm offices are in the Presidio. It would have been an ideal location. Uh, San Francisco is kind of like Lucas's home. Right. He didn't stay in LA and, and he kind of said like, I don't want to deal with the studio system. I want to do this on my own. And so being in San Francisco totally made sense. Um, And that didn't happen. And then they started looking at places in Chicago where Lucas lives part-time with Melody Hobson and they donate millions of dollars to right. I do like remember schools some and educational foundations yep. there. And, you know, at the same time, Lucas is selling Lucasfilm right. and putting all of that money into his educational foundation. Um, and so Rahm Emanuel, the mayor of Chicago, is trying to make sure that his buddy George can get a spot on the lake. And they find a spot on the lakefront. It's like on the museum campus with the field and the shed. Um, And it doesn't end up happening because the place that they had chosen was essentially a parking lot. And the friends of the lakefront didn't want another building obstructing the view of the lake. Oh, okay. And like... (laughs) very heated yeah and really unfortunate because like now it's just a parking lot like a literal parking like a literal lot? parking lot it's like where people go to tailgate for bears games <laughs> <laughs> is it really there like that vicinity yeah wow. it's it's just it's in the same like strip of land no i can totally pay. i was actually i was there in chicago about a year and a half ago drove right through there right oh. by soldiers field and i can picture exactly what you mean yeah, yeah. and i mean like the thing that i didn't like about it being in Chicago is a it's frigid right I don't want to move to Chicago right yeah it's not a year-round destination right I don't want to live in two places right but you know that didn't end up happening Mm -hmm. Lucas would get so far with a bunch of yeses and then the lakefront conservancy would come back and something else would happen and it finally just like came to a head and there are a lot of bigger issues to it than what I'm making it out to be. Right. But it finally came to a head, and he, the museum issued a formal statement that they were withdrawing their right. proposal for Chicago. Which, by the way, was the first time in like 25 years anybody had said no to him. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Second time, because the first time was San Francisco. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so then, you know, L.A. starts talking about how they would love to have the museum. They Mm -hmm. have the perfect spot for it on Expo Drive. And meanwhile, Mayor Lee in San Francisco trying to like fix the the issue of not having it the first time around starts figuring out how to make it okay, where in the city they can put it because there's like no land in San Francisco that's Mm -hmm. empty. And so the past like year, it's been going between or not even year. I think it's probably like been six months. It's been going between this spot on Expo Drive in LA and this spot on Treasure Island in San Francisco, which like the whole island is apparently going to be redeveloped, which mm-hmm. is fantastic. Right. Um, and on January 7th or 8th, the board of the Lucas Museum met and decided that they were going to go with the spot in LA, hmm. which makes sense because the spot in LA is bigger. It's on a main thoroughway. The spot in San Francisco, kind of hard to get to. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can you drive to, to Treasure Island or you can take a ferry. But Lucas, like, his primary goal for this museum is for it to be an educa- a source of education right. for students in the area. I'm pretty sure he is planning on um, making sure that schools can come to the museum for free. Right. Um, 
and having it located on Treasure Island, and I'm just like trying to imagine the board conversation, um, having it on right. Treasure Island would mean it'd be harder to get to for schools, it'd be harder for tourists to get to, it'd be, it'd be fun to take the ferry to the museum, right. it'd be great, but like if it's foggy and you can't see, like right. I can see like the logistical issues. And you've kind of answered what I was thinking at the, at the outset, which is that, and maybe something we should mention for the walkers who are primarily Star Wars diehards, right? But yes. this is this goes much this goes far beyond Star Wars. Oh yeah, this. And so, cuz when you're talking about Treasure Island it's like, "Oh, that sounds like kind of a cool mecha trip for yeah. Star Wars diehards, but that's not what he's looking to do." Right. Like he of course, he has like the Ralph McQuarrie matte paintings mm. and the concept art and the maquettes and the models. Well, I'm in. Right, and yeah. so like it will totally be a mecca for Star Wars fans. Right, but it will primarily be—it's called the Lucas Museum of Narrative Art, and it's a huge collection of basically the art of storytelling. Mm -hmm. And I just started reading the biography of George Lucas, and I guess from a very young age he was very interested in creating his own stories and how. Um, art can tell a story right and so he's got a huge collection of norman rockwell he actually just donated a pretty sizable amount to the rockwell museum in mm -hmm. western massachusetts um but he also and i think this is really great he i can't think of many other museums that are doing this now he is like full-on displaying digital art mm -hmm. so like art that has been solely created on a computer which I think a lot of museums still kind of snub their noses at. Sure. Because, I don't know, it doesn't take a lot of time. Right. <laughs> I don't... If it's not on canvas. It's not on a canvas, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think it's going to be... Wow. Yeah, and now that like he finally has a spot where they can say, where they can break ground, you know, the design of the museum is a little funky. Mm -hmm. I'm not a huge fan of the futuristic yeah. building. But I think it's in LA, so it'll work. It's on Expo Drive. It'll be a huge focal point. Mm -hmm. So it's, it'll be good. So you've come around on the idea of LA. I is have. what you're kind of saying. I have come around <laughs> on the idea. I mean, I have to. Yeah, I knew what your original feelings were. And, yeah, uh, and it I makes was sense. But then, kind of in gunning this, for San Francisco. Right. Kind of diving back into what uh, someone like me. Mm -hmm. should expect to see there because now you're somebody who is very much invested in the museum world yes and i'm very much not um, that's okay partly because i burnt out on them in college when i was forced to go to the museum of fine arts like every day all day yeah which sounds like a dream come true but it's like you know eating 18 buckets of ice cream to where Whoa. you want to throw up so um and i guess i probably do have a more kind of conventional dated opinion of what a museum is or should be or could be um, so like what would people like me expect to find at the Lucas Museum like what I mean you've already kind of gotten into it a little bit yeah but I guess I'm saying Allie should I convince like, help you to me go shed to my my completely dated <laughs> completely inaccurate mental image of what a museum can be I mean yes museums can be very like stoic and boring mm -hmm. and fatiguing in a way um but 
if a museum is doing their job correctly, they are making their space a place for you to come and kind of like forget about the world around outside for a little bit mm-hmm. and to kind of let go of the things that uh, you have been doing for the day. Let go of your to-do, to-do list. Stop thinking about what you have mm-hmm. later on in the day. Um, and just kind of like be with yourself and be present for a moment and and get lost in a work of art or or in terms of art museums at right. least you can kind of get lost in a gallery i know i have several times at the mfa yes um but it's also there are places for you to kind of challenge your assumptions and to to learn something that you might not have known prior to going in and there are also there are supposed to be places of community now. They're supposed to be gathering places for like-minded people or or differently-minded people to come together and share their thoughts, their feelings, their emotions, and and find a, a common ground. Right. Um, so what would you say, what would you cite as an example of the, like a, a museum you've been in that's really just nailing that that a museum done right. An art museum? Anything. Anything <laughs> that in like the modern context, again, of not just being a very cold, I mean, you know, going back to growing up, my experiences with museums were, I mean, you know, we have the Museum of Science in Boston, which is great and it's fun, but art museums are always very cold mm-hmm. and not very inviting, um, at least not the ones around here that I've been to. Yeah. And then we have like, you know, natural history museums and things like that, but like in kind of in in the art museum. In our day and time, like, who's getting this right? For example, there's our, uh, our one of our mutually adored YouTube series. Emily. The, the, the Brain, Brain Scoop. Yeah. Yes. Which is just, it's, it's partially because aesthetically, it's yes. like awesome. It's yeah. so rich and warm and inviting. Mm-hmm. So I guess I've never had a museum experience like that where I felt oh, okay. the kind of same thing that you feel when you're watching something like that. Sure, yeah. Um, I think the MF, I, I will give the MFA credit, they do try, mm-hmm. but I think there is a lot going on there that is still like a little dated, a little, they need a little bit more of a kick in the pants to, yeah. to be as welcoming as they are. But I mean, I think every museum to some degree or another does succeed with it. Um, like the Hammer Museum does a pretty excellent job in LA. Mm-hmm. They um, they are very community minded, and the San- the Santa Cruz Museum of Art and History is also very intensely involved in their community. Um, I, I guess you know if I was curating a country, <laughs> I guess there's a place for you know the the kind of more stoic, cold museum that we talked about. I mean, you know, like that's what we have here, but I can imagine that people who have experienced the other type of museum that you're talking about that's more community-minded, you know, maybe there's some sort of something intriguing about seeing. I mean, people do come here for the history, you know, and they want to see, well, like this is the way museums used to be. So I guess that's a compliment and an insult at the same time to the MFA. (laughs) That it's like, oh, well, you have your own kind of old school charm. (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, they do, like they have free nights and they have first Fridays. Mm -hmm. And they they tried this thing um, towards the end of, I guess it's basically, it was over fall semester of 2016. they did a like overnight at the MFA, yeah. Where 
I think they realized that there was an audience of college students that like they were kind of getting because if you if you go to a college in the Boston area, you get into the MFA for free. Right. Um, but I think they realized that they they needed to try a little bit harder with this group, and so they tried this series for four months, where the museum I think um, closed at on like. Saturday at five, it would close for an hour, and then it reopened at six, and it was free, and there were food trucks, mm-hmm. and you could go anywhere in the museum, and it was open from six p.m. to nine a.m., and then it would close for an hour wow. and reopen at ten, and they did that four times, and I think right now they're trying to figure out like, and nothing bad happened. Well, I guess the first <laughs> the first month that they did it, yeah they weren't expecting the huge crowd that showed up. Like, I know people that went that they were in line for an hour and a half to get in. Wow. Yeah. And I guess they weren't expecting... The Midnight Museum crowd. Exactly. They wow. were not. They were blown away by the response, and all the food trucks ran out of food. Wow. And they're supposed to be there till like, 3 in the morning. Right. <laughs> and they ran out around, like... But they weren't just getting, midnight. like, a bunch of drunk college kids. Art museums have a, a bigger challenge because they have this... There's like the the expectation of what a museum is supposed to be like, and there's the the assumptions that you go into a museum with. But I think places like the Science Museum and Natural History Museums have had an easier time of breaking down those barriers and being like, we can be fun. You can go and do a Tesla coil, like touch the Tesla coil or whatever. Like, you go into the Science Museum here in Boston, yeah, and you know it's going to be fun because you see like a hundred thousand children running and screaming, and nobody's doing anything about it, right? And you're just like, mm-hmm. Or an actual size poster of a T Rex. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, when you walk up to a museum and there's a T Rex in front of it, you're <laughs> yeah. like, I'm in for a good time. Oh wait, oh. yeah, it's an actual T Rex out there, right? Yeah. Okay. It's the old one. Right. Before right, they right, were right. like, oh yeah, T Rex don't stand upright. Yeah. Science. I just think that science museums and natural history museums have it a little bit easier of yeah. like shattering that right. notion of what a museum should be. Yeah. And art museums have a harder time because there's not a whole lot that you can do in an art museum. Right. And so you have to be more creative in figuring out like how to serve your audiences with something that's actually going to engage and stimulate them. And I, right. I have high confidence that the Lucas Museum is going to do that because the man created Star Wars. Right, <laughs> like, right. Yeah, well, and like in, in an art museum, I think there's that kind of, you know, I'm sure there's this um, hesitation to kind of step outside of the box <coughs> aesthetically because the focus is aesthetics. You know, it's, yeah. it's the actual artwork. Yeah. So everything around it tends to be pretty sterile because... You know, and and so the space can't be all that wild and crazy and engaging because, again, like they're trying so hard not to detract from the actual objects that you're there to see. Yeah, and and I think one of the things about being in a museum is like you, there's not a lot of funding. People think that there's more funding than there actually is. Mm-hmm. And it's funny how that happens. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, and. The thing with the Lucas Museum is that it's it's fully funded by George Lucas. Right. He right. he is building, he is paying for the construction of the museum, he's endowing the museum. Like this museum is starting off better than most museums yeah. start off. Yeah. And I think that it's a level of philanthropy in the museum world that we haven't seen for a while. 
which is not to say that that people don't do great things when it comes to donating to museums but from from where i stand a lot of that goes towards like capital campaigns where you're make adding a new wing right and that's great but like i need storage space for my collection right <laughs> and i know that's not sexy but we need the money right um it's a tougher sell yeah, yeah. and so i think like the fact that it took so long to get this museum built kind of boggles my mind or just mm-hmm. to even get it a home boggles my mind because it is this level of philanthropic giving that hasn't really been seen in the museum world in a while and to to snub that is is kind of stupid yeah yeah and i understand like there are lots of moving parts and political issues to right. to deal with but but it really yeah. reflects favorably on him and his and his motivation for it. And yeah. That you know, yes, I, I'm willing to pay for all. Like I'm doing all this. It's very philanthropic, like you said. So I want to get it right. Oh yeah. So it's like you know you're, you know you're not going to take these millions and millions of dollars and then put it in the wrong spot where nobody can get to it or you know whatever. Yeah. Um, it's funny because the the way you're talking about the museum world is sort of like what's happening with Hollywood where. Uh, you can't do this sort of thing unless some just obscenely rich person comes along. So one of the things that obviously I think everybody knows is happening in Hollywood is where you get all these sequels and all the only things that have big money thrown at them are absolutely sure things. Yeah. Right. So even when DC makes a horrible movie, they did not lose money. You know, like they're not going to lose money on Batman versus Superman or Suicide Squad, no matter how bad they are, right? Right. So it is a sure thing. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, now you you don't see people getting a lot of money thrown at them for somebody with an individual vision. I just started his the biography about George Lucas, and there's this part at the beginning where he's there. Um, in Tunisia filming A New Hope and everything's going to hell in a handbasket and the droids are failing and there's sand and everything and I'm not going to quote it right but at one point he said something along the lines of like when I when I make it when I get the money from Star Wars like I'm going to do this the way that I want it done and not buy into the way that Fox wants it to be done right and he has proven that yeah. he is more than happy to tell the studio system to to go to hell. Yep. And so I think it's going to I'm really interested to see like, you know, of course, he's going to have to abide by like certain museum standards and, right. and codes of ethics and everything. But I really want to see how he's going to take that attitude into this next phase and like also like what level of involvement he's actually going to have because he has his educational foundation yeah and he has melody yeah and he has his life but you know but but the thing is but that's the thing right so he's at a stage in his life where i mean i'm i'm guessing i mean we would say that he already has an amazing legacy Oh but yeah, I'm sure that when you when you take this kind of money and put it into a museum and it's such a philanthropic effort, like you want this to be your legacy, yeah, or a very big part of it. And right now, like this is the part of his legacy that he's currently shaping. So I can only imagine he really is going to be quite involved. I would think. I would yeah. Hope so. I, and I think I'm I'm hoping to I'm looking forward to seeing how it's laid out and and 
I know there's been, there are a lot of people, the people that like didn't want the museum being built no matter where it was, Mm -hmm. or the people that just like to be contrarian and negative towards it. A lot of the people who don't want women and, uh, in a diverse racial group appearing in a Star Wars movie, for example. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, People are saying, like, we don't want a a Star Wars museum. (laughs) And so I'm curious to see, like, how he's going, how this museum is going to kind of take those assumptions and just completely turn them around. Right. And I don't think it's going to mean having a very small amount of Star Wars I hope not. Items on display. I think right. there will be because that is art. Right. And it will be on display. It's in the collection. And he knows that that's going to be a draw. Right. So it's going to be interesting to see, like, what else in the collection is going to come out and really, like, grab people. Right. This is It's kind of like the issue. So um, Steven Spielberg is making this movie um, Ready Player One. Oh, yeah. So I know very little about that. I know the book was hugely popular, and and a lot of it is just steeped in 80s nostalgia. And apparently the issue that it came up is that Steven Spielberg is the one making the movie, but he is also such a part of the the inspiration for the book. Mm -hmm. So apparently a lot of his things that he's created appear in the book, but now he's the one making the movie. So he kind of had this dilemma of, well, I want to be true to the book, but the book is like super blowing hot hot air up my skirt so uh, <laughs> you know the more i'm faithful to the book the more it looks self-aggrandizing on my part you know yeah so i guess he was you know it was it was a little bit of a struggle to find the balance in there and i hope that you know maybe it's that george lucas has enough other people kind of chiming in like hey you guys this is all my stuff so how much of this do you think i mean to me the smart thing would be to do is ask other people right yeah. As long as it's not Rick McCallum who says yes to everything he says. But, like, somebody who will actually give him some critical feedback, which is like, yeah, George, like, now this this is an appropriate amount of Star Wars stuff. Because, yeah, you don't want him to swing in the other direction where it's, like, downplaying Star Wars. I mean, because it's hugely culturally relevant. Yeah. And it's had a huge impact on everything. I mean, you go through Hollywood and so many different creative fields so many people have been influenced by Star Wars. So it'd be a real shame for him to downplay it just for fear of, you know, self-aggrandizement or the perception of that. Yeah, and I'm sure there will be, like, Indiana Jones concept art and matte paintings on display as well. Um, I found the the three lenses Uh that the museum's collection is viewed through. Okay. It's going to be the history of narrative art, Mm -hmm. uh, the art of cinema, Mm-hmm. And I, that there's an ET picture on oh. that page, so you know it's not just going to be his stuff, right? Um, but also his best friends. Oh, no, yeah. I'm just kidding. And in, it includes. <laughs> That's what the cynical people would say. <laughs> concept art. Cynical millennials. <laughs> concept art, storyboards, set design, props, costume, and fashion, animation, and visual effects. Oh, so like a Planet Hollywood. No, Brett. <laughs> <laughs> and then the um digital art Mm -hmm. which i had already said and there's going to be you know pixar but also andy warhol and it's going to be it's going to be great yeah and i'm really really looking forward to seeing the job board yeah but also what happens as the museum starts to get built right so no i think it's fascinating because the sort of the way you described it that kind of business model for 
creative work is fascinating to me. And it's, it's to me the ideal situation where, like you said, you have somebody, you know, he cut his teeth, you know, he went through the process like everybody else, paid his dues and made Star Wars the hard way, which is really hard, which is, you know, breaking down barrier after barrier, inventing new technology to even achieve what you want to put on screen and also all the executive crap that goes on, right? Yeah. All the money people that you have to deal with and the people who are like, oh, nobody's going to see that. This is crazy and weird. And people fought that at the time, right? So he went through all that. He made it big and then is pouring his own uh, money back into more. Yeah. You know, and and into what he wants to do so that he now has the creative freedom. It's a lot like um, I guess what's happened in kind of a more uh, a much smaller scale, but very significant nonetheless is like with um, with indie video games. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, there was I think it's like 10 years now a game called Braid came out, which was an independent game. It was the first time an independent video game that wasn't made by Konami or EA or Nintendo or one Mm -hmm. of the big game companies. It was like this one guy, pretty much. Uh, It's his singular vision. The game is brilliant aesthetically, uh, conceptually. Like, everything about it is amazing. So it was just like this, you know, this amazing moment in games that just changed games forever because now, like, the indie gaming scene is enormous. Yeah. And it yields some of the most creative results that, that gaming's ever had. So, but that guy pretty much took that indie darling that actually became a much bigger financial success than anything uh, anything like it ever had, and he poured it all back into his next game. Mm. So he just spent, and I, I think it was like eight or nine years. Oh, wow. So he just funded himself. He took everything that he made on that game and just poured it into his next game. Yeah. And kind of banked on himself. Yeah. Um, and didn't really have to deal with people. And of course, he had the clout too, which helps. Yeah. Um, but he also had the money. So you kind of have to have both, right? Yeah. And like you said, there are constraints, um, you know, like George Lucas dealing with the cities. I mean, you have to, if you're an independent game developer, you have to meet certain <laughs> standards for xbox live and playstation network or whatever it is where you want to put your game or steam um but otherwise you pretty much have complete creative freedom if you're the one funding your own project yeah and i think like going back to what you said about how he did have to deal with people like not believing that it was going to work i feel like over and over again he has consistently shown us like go ahead and say that it's not going to work and right. I will prove you wrong. Yeah. And like, again, I know I keep saying this, but I'm so excited to see how he proves everybody so dead wrong about this museum that it's just going to be, and maybe I'm yeah. like amping myself up way too much and maybe I'm going to be severely disappointed, but I just like, that, that sounds familiar. <laughs> shut up. <laughs> Shut up. George Lucas is working on something years in the making that everybody's been waiting for and building Don't up huge expectations. Don't think. listen to him. Don't listen to him. Oh. But he did it. But he even with the prequels, he did what he saw as his vision. Right. And he sticks by it. And mm-hmm. yeah, like he, he can like do, do a little retconning here and there. But like for the majority of it, he sticks by his vision and he doesn't care what other people think. Right. And I think that that is a, is a good lesson just for life in general. Like, I wish I didn't care what people thought so much. Right. But, like, right. 
But you, but you know what? If you don't take a shot, something amazing can't happen. Exactly. Right? So it's like, uh, you know, if you're going to throw a Hail Mary, then something amazing can happen. If you're just going to play it safe, then, you know, and, and that's kind of the, that's kind of what we're stuck with. Again, like with Hollywood, it's just like, all right, you know, they're cranking out Marvel movies. And again, they're kind of surefire, right? Like, yeah. you, you know, they're going to be, you know, somewhere between like 70 and 85 on Rotten Tomatoes. And, you know, but like it's we've talked about it before. How memorable is that? Yeah. Whereas would you rather that where you have something where like everybody's 75 percent happy or would you have somebody take a shot on something that they really believe in? And the risk being, you know, that like 10% of people are happy and everybody else is miserable. But you also have that chance to have just this blazing creative success, like unprecedented, something totally new and different and unique. Even if it means only 50% of the people are like 100% hardcore, dedicated and passionate about what you did. Yeah. And I think we would take that any day. Yes. You know, for the the Lucas Museum, I think it's going to give people that visit it, especially kids and and students, it's going to give them a great opportunity to see, like, no, these are the kinds of jobs you can have if you choose mm-hmm. to go into the arts. Because right. I think right now, this our society as a whole is very, like, STEM-oriented, which is great. And we need people that are studying in STEM fields, you know, to cure cancer and get us back to the moon and beyond but we also need the more creative minded which is not to say stem people aren't creative but we need we need people studying the arts and one of the best ways to do that is in a museum and to be exposed to it is in a museum so you actually know that it's an option and and one of the things that I think he the Lucas Museum is really going to succeed at is allowing kids the opportunity to see what you can do if you're if you give yourself or if you're given the chance yeah to have access to a pen and paper or a pencil or a drawing class and i think there are going to be a lot of classes for digital art for studio art um to give people those opportunities mm-hmm. and i think that's important to even have access to those opportunities yeah so um have have you read the um the prologue of the art of rogue one yet no it's incredible and it, it's inspiring for all of the reasons that you said mm. uh you know it's gareth edwards uh, this is something that we should definitely talk about in a future episode of the skywalk um but even removed from just star wars it's him talking about you know how he thought he could just kind of go to art school learn some tools like photoshop and stuff and then just make stuff in reality, you know, Wrong. it took years and years before he did anything nearly good enough for other people to actually see. Yeah. Um, but also he talks about the importance of concept artists because apparently like he was a concept artist. Um, and just the idea that like they're not just being told by the director like, hey, give me a mountain range, you know, like they are guiding the feel and the yeah. emotion of the movie at times through concept art. Yeah. Through designing these amazing spaces, you know, I mean, it comes through architecture and all these other concentrations that the effect that they can have on storytelling. So I'm sure, you know, what I'm looking forward to is that's clearly something George Lucas recognizes yeah, and that he'll want to kind of, you know, enlighten people like, hey, like this is more than just, you know, a guy drawing, you know. Yeah. This is not illustration. 
It's, it's so much more than that, and it can really have like a profound impact and guide storytelling in movies. Oh, yeah. Awesome. All right, Walkers. Well, that was fun. I hope I enlightened you. Yeah, you're going to have to figure out how to brand this episode as like a Wicked Geeky Museum episode. That might be the title. <laughs> the Wicked Geeky Museum episode. It's about, it's about art, architecture, making movies. Movies. Making stuff magic. Making magic in the skywalk. No. <laughs> <laughs>